Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. He did the heavy lifting editing this episode, and I greatly appreciate his help. Check out IdealVideoStrategies.com for more details. And check out our partner podcasts as well. ADHD Rewired and Hacking Your ADHD. In ADHD Rewired, Eric Tivers shares excellent interviews with ADHD experts and adults affected by the disorder. And Will Curb shares practical, actionable tips on how to manage your ADHD on his show, Hacking Your ADHD. And don't forget to join the three of us for a live Q&A this coming Tuesday, April 14th at 1.30 Eastern. Go to www.adhdrewired.com events to register. And if you haven't joined the ADHD Essentials Facebook community yet, we'd love to have you. It's filled with resources and support to help you parent your ADHD child more effectively. And finally, the best way to show support for this show is by sharing it with others, either online or in person. So let the folks in your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feed know that we exist. Let the folks on your various Zoom calls know how helpful the show is for you. And don't forget to put a five-star rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It helps others find us. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Melissa Orlov. Melissa is a marriage consultant specializing in helping ADHD-affected couples rebalance their relationships. She's a cum laude graduate of Harvard College and the award-winning author of The ADHD Effect on Marriage and The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD. In today's episode, Melissa and I talk about ADHD in family relationships. We discuss how status within the relationship affects ADHD marriages, why the parent-child dynamic doesn't work, but also why it happens and how to get out of it. We also discuss Melissa's three-legged conceptual model for ADHD treatment, the power of verbal cues and silos in relationships, why punishment is not an effective way to parent our kids, and why knowledge is power when it comes to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. All right, let's get rolling. I am Melissa Orlov. I am the founder of ADHDmarriage.com, and I have uh, written two books on uh, ADHD and how it impacts adult relationships. Both of them have won awards for being great psychology books, and a lot of people tell me that they really see their relationships in them, which is uh, really great for me. But I have a lot of resources for couples impacted by ADHD. One or both partners would have ADHD. And many times, because it's hereditary, they also have kids with ADHD. So I'm very excited to be talking with you today. Awesome. Do you mind throwing out the titles of those books just so that my audience knows what they are? Uh, The first one, which I have just revised actually in a 
10-year anniversary revise is the ADHD effect on marriage. And the second one is the couple's guide to thriving with ADHD. And then I have a lot of other resources at my website, which is ADHDmarriage.com, a ton of resources there, as well as people who want to contact me can do so. What brought you into working with ADHD and marriage? I sort of backed into it actually, not expecting to go in this direction because my husband has ADHD and I also have a child with ADHD and one without. Uh, and so we had struggled a great deal in our relationship and we were in one of those situations where we kept saying to ourselves, this just doesn't make sense that we're struggling <laughs> as much as we are. And I had been working with Ned Halliwell, who's uh, one of the top ADHD doctors in the country and uh, in a different capacity, but had learned a lot from him about ADHD. In fact, I was moderating a course that he gave in uh, 2005 to therapists. It was essentially he and John Rady teaching everything that was known about ADHD at that point. And so I took that course because I was moderating it. So I learned a lot more about ADHD and it became obvious that my husband had it and also that it was impacting our relationship. When we came out the other end of fixing things up, which was, uh, was a lot of effort, I thought to myself, gee, there are no resources here. Maybe I should start blogging about it. And I did, and the blog took off. So then in order to organize the thousands of pages that <laughs> I now had on my website, I wrote a book and that took off and, and I started getting more deeply involved with it. So I sort of backed into it as a way to help other people. And it's been a really terrific career for me. Awesome. So many people who work with ADHD have a story like that, right? It, it, not that exactly, but it's ADHD affected me in some personal way. I have it. My kid has it. My husband has it. And now I work with people who have ADHD. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm curious because I realized as you were talking that I have a weird frame in my head knowing as we came into this interview that your husband has ADHD and that that's kind of what led you down this road. I realized that in my head, I kind of had this frame of like, oh yeah, well her husband has ADHD and she sort of like navigated that. They did the hard work to maintain their marriage and, and sort of clean things up as necessary. Then she wrote this book. And in my head, I have this weird cognitive bias of like, well, now ADHD must not be a problem at all in your relationship in any way because you became the expert and did the thing and wrote the book. And, and that just isn't realistic. <laughs> well, it, it, you go in um, sort of waves. So for a while, it wasn't a problem. And then um, we sort of lost track of it because it wasn't a problem and it became a problem again. And then we had to fix it again. And, and but now it really, it isn't a problem, though there are certainly things that you learn how to live with um, that in both directions. I mean, it's not just about my husband's symptoms. It's also always about how I respond to those issues. And so if either one of us gets out of sort of the patterns that we figured out, things can get off. But the good news is once you've uh, managed to, to work through all of this stuff, getting back to the what, what I call the new norm or the happy place now that we are is quite easy for us to do. We can do it very quickly and it doesn't take us off track for very long. But it takes a while to get to that place. Um, but the good news is you can. And what are some of those strategies that you've learned in navigating an ADHD marriage? So I could, I'm laughing now. I could say, how long do you have? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the big picture stuff. <laughs> Some of the biggest issues have to do with, uh, for adult relationships, have to do with what I call status in the relationship or, or equal 
equal power, equal status between partners. And part of the reasons that these relationships break down is that the ADHD symptoms, particularly if they're undiagnosed or undermanaged, so which we had both of those in our beginning of exploring this, my husband's ADHD was not yet diagnosed. And then when it was diagnosed, there was a sense, well, it doesn't really matter. It took us a while to figure out that it really did matter. And then it took a while to figure out how to manage it, you know, what were the most important elements for him to work on and et cetera. But it's also a, a, an issue for, you know, how was I responding to it? And the classic way to respond to it, if you are, don't have ADHD, is to look at the chaos in your relationship and to try to control it or to manage it, which then also translates into trying to control or manage your partner and your partner's responses. And that ends up not working um, at all. And it's also extremely common. So I would say virtually all of the couples who find me and that I work with either through the seminars or counseling or whatever have the issue of what I call parent-child dynamics. And I know we have parents listening to this, so it's not about children. It's about one partner acts like a sort of a bad parent figure, a controlling parent figure, and the other adult partner functions in an underperforming um, situation where they're kind of treated like a child. And it's very poisonous for the relationship. And, and I think that's the most important thing to get out of. So the thing that is the strongest about our relationship now is this complete partnership that we have. We're very different people, but we each are equal members of that relationship. And it takes a while to get to that place when you have to figure out how to navigate symptoms that make a person sometimes respond, you know, less reliably. They'll say they'll do something and then they don't do it, those kinds of things. How much of that dynamic comes out of the value that one partner is putting on certain things as compared to the value that someone else, that the other partner is putting on things? And what I'm, what I'm thinking about here is like, if having an immaculate household is something that I value very highly and my ADHD spouse is okay with some clutter, doesn't need it to be, I mean, not like a train wreck, but like if there's magazines on the counter, maybe they don't care, that kind of thing. And so someone who is valuing cleanliness to a higher level than something the other partner is sort of swooping in taking charge of that area and being frustrated with the ADHD partner who is less inclined to address those things. <laughs> and then does that shift and steer that power dynamic in, in the direction of the parent child? Well, I mean, certainly that's one element of it. I think you can look at it more broadly. I mean, how the, what the environment looks like and whether the ADHD partner notices mess or clutter. I mean, certainly that's a very common issue. Lots of people with ADHD don't notice clutter. And so that can be an area of conflict for folks. Tasks can be an area of conflict for folks because the ADHD partners tend to take longer and have less interest in doing things that are boring and uninteresting like many chores are. I don't know what that's like. I think the larger picture is one of trust. If you have a partner, so my husband would say, Oh, absolutely. I'll go do that. 
and would mean it. I mean, he absolutely intended to go do it, but then something would get in the way that was ADHD symptomatic, like he'd get distracted or something else would grab his attention and feel more important to him or more urgent. And so he would pursue that. And then the thing that he had agreed to do didn't get done. And over a course of years, um, the fact that you can have your partner say with all good intentions that they're going to do something and not follow through on it means that you start to wonder what's going on. You start to, if you don't know about ADHD, you start to interpret that as my partner doesn't really care, doesn't care about my, about me or about the family or about our, the things that we agree, can't keep uh, his or her promises. And those kinds of things break down the trust. And so uh, it's a bigger issue, but it, it has to do with trust, with the representation of who's got the responsibilities, like the classic parent-child dynamic has the non-ADHD partner over-functioning, doing too many things, and even taking on responsibility for things that the other partner is supposed to be doing by, for example, reminding or nagging or saying, hey, have you done X yet? Or you know, why don't you do that? Instructing, educating, those kinds of things. With the ADHD partner, less engaged, less likely to follow through in a timely way for a whole variety of reasons, maybe forgetting altogether. All these things are related to ADHD. So it's not just about cleanliness and clutter, though it sounds to me as if maybe that's part of what's going on in your household. <laughs> I mean, yes. But also I was, I was really thinking of it in terms of like value and prioritizing. And it, it goes directly to what you were just saying, because some of the ways that my wife and I get past what you're describing and how we avoid that pitfall is... I've learned to not just yes her to death. I've learned to like, yeah, I want you to be happy with me and I impulsively want to do the thing you just asked me to do and I don't want to be rejected because that hurts and I totally understand all of that because I understand ADHD and that knowledge is important here. But I've also learned to say things like, a good example, she's been telling me like, you need to get a bathing suit because we're going on vacation and you don't have enough of them for the length of time that we're going to be on vacation. So you got to get a bathing suit. And I've learned to say, yes, that is a thing that I will do. But first, I have to do all of these things, right? Here's the stuff that's in my mind before I'm ever going to get to caring about a bathing suit. First, I have to launch my parent coaching groups. I have to build the people who I did workshops for. I have to figure out the Pinewood Derby for Cub Scouts. I have to make sure that the kids go on the overnight for Cub Scouts. I have the dojo tonight. Maybe I'm making dinner. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm cleaning something else up. But there's a whole lot of other things that are in my head that she doesn't know about that are keeping me from getting to I should go buy a bathing suit and are preventing me from doing that. And I've learned that by letting her know what those things are, it allows her to give me more space and understanding around, oh, it's not that he's not prioritizing the bathing suit. It's that he has like 10 other things that legitimately matter more than the bathing suit, he's probably going to forget. And then she usually follows it up with, well, how are you going to remember to get the bathing suit? Do you want to put it in your calendar? Do you want to plug it into Alexa? Because we have those strategies in my house. But that, that extra little piece of conversation facilitates a level of understanding that I think has kept us married for 15 years. Right. Well, um, and what that conversation is doing is demonstrating that there is a uh, more equal status in your relationship, right? You're able to say, yes, I agree. 
here are some of the things that you need to be aware of that you're not currently aware of. So there's a coordination going on between the two of you. And that coordination happens when you have equal status. It's a lot less likely to happen if you, if you are in that parent-child dynamic thing that I'm talking about where one person is dictating and the other one is following instructions. Because you, in that situation, the person who's following instructions is less likely to stand up for him or herself and say, yeah, but here are some other things you don't know about that, I, that are going to get in the way. Yeah, I'll get there, but I'm just not, I'm not there yet. So those are the kinds of, that's, that's a great strategy. And, uh, you know, were you, were you working with me, I would suggest that uh, ideally, eventually you'd like to get to the place where she doesn't have to say to you, so how are you going to remind yourself, but that that would just be part of your responsibilities where you okay, Alexa, do this, you know? Yeah. She doesn't do that in a way that makes me feel like I'm being parented. Right. So it works well. Yeah. She basically is like, this is what you say to all of your clients. So this is just normal. Well, and, and not only that, but for every couple, it's different, right? You have to figure out what the thing is that works for the two of you that doesn't make it feel as if she's trying to control you. And in this situation, it doesn't sound like she is. It's easy. The reason I try to get people to move away from those is that a lot of the times, What's really going on there is uh, that the person is really nervous that something's not going to happen. And so they're trying to push you a little further just to ensure that it's going to happen. And, and that is hard to differentiate from more sort of desires to control. So I, you know, generally, but it doesn't sound like that's what's going on for the two of you. So it sounds like your system is fine. No, not even a little bit. We have a pretty egalitarian relationship. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's working yeah. for the two of you. And that egalitarian relationship is really important, but it takes a good deal of effort to get there if you've been in the opposite direction, which is where people who are really struggling often are, is they're in that full-blown, not very respectful parent-child dynamic. How do you get out of that? I mean, first of all, you have to be aware of it. <laughs> and you have to be aware of the fact that it's really poisonous. And you have to understand how you got there. And part of that is understanding why it's logical for the ADHD partner to be in that childlike role, uh, as well as why it's logical for the non-ADHD partner to be in that parenting role. Just because it's logical doesn't mean it's healthy, but at least understanding that, okay, the, for the non-ADHD partner, this is an effort to gain control over chaos. This is the first time they've generally felt this kind of chaos in their lives. It's, it's very um, anxiety producing. It's also incredibly stressful. There's a great deal of desire to be out of it, um, but there's also a great deal of desire to have more reliability in their life. And generally speaking, the lack of reliability comes from these symptoms. On the ADHD partner side, it's also very logical to not be engaging in the way that you want. It's hard to take something away from a partner who's trying to control it, particularly if you have a different way of doing things. Uh, it's also harder to do that than to just let them do the extra work. It's logical to be fearful sometimes of engaging with managing ADHD symptomatic behaviors, particularly if you either don't know you have them, then it's really logical not to be managing them. But even if you do know you have them, it's very confusing sometimes to start in on managing your ADHD better. There's a lot of options. You don't really know what's going to work. Uh, it's scary to put yourself out there. I mean, so all sorts of reasons that people get into this and stay there. You know, hard feelings. There's a lot of, usually a lot of sort of chronic anger and frustration when you get to this parent-child dynamic, which is also difficult to traverse and you have to find strategies to diminish that as well. So 
Uh, I mean, I have, again, this is what I teach in my seminar and stuff is how to get around this. This is one of the major areas for improvement uh, for couples. If they can get this down, there's a lot that they can do to improve things. But the parent-child dynamic really gets in the way of moving to a healthier relationship. It sounds like when we're stuck in that parent-child dynamic with the spouses, that there's sort of two layers to it, at, at least, but two big layers, one of which is the emotional underpinnings of resentment and frustration and fear and that kind of stuff. And then also sort of a cognitive, almost academic layer of needing to know the strategies to use to equalize that power dynamic, including like problem solving strategies around, we want the lawn mode. When is that going to happen? How are we going to make that happen? Do it. It doesn't have to be the way I would mow the lawn. It just has to get finished. Am I reading that correctly that there's that there's those two pieces at least yes so there are so so you're right there's the sort of behavioral changes that uh, are actually often um, interactive changes so there's when I talk I'm going to digress a little bit here just to give you a little background when I talk with adults about treatment I, I give them a conceptual model because I'm not an MD or anything like that but I give them a conceptual model of three legs of treatment where the first leg is, is treatments that you use that change the physiology of the brain, that deal with the fact that the neurochemistry is different for somebody who has ADHD and tries to balance the neurochemistry. That includes medications, but also sleep, mindfulness, some kinds of dietary things, not as many as people would hope for, but um, things that are shown to change the physiology of the brain. The second leg is behavioral strategies for the ADHD partner. So that's one area where things like, you know, getting the lawn mode and, and et cetera, I mean, there may be a strategy there for that partner if that partner is doing it. The third leg is interactive strategies between partners, which is where I focus a lot in terms of working with my couples. So there's the behaviors that you're talking about and this sort of two-part thing that you're thinking about where there's the emotional stuff that you have to get rid of for parent-child and also the behavioral stuff. It, the behavioral stuff is really in two realms. It's the for the ADHD partner specifically to make that partner able to be more reliable, more managed, be, you know, be more in charge of their life, essentially, themselves. And then there's the interactive part, which is how do we coordinate as a couple around these things that are, are sort of mutual touch points, whether it's mowing the lawn or getting chores done in general, or even how do we communicate better with each other. And I'll, te I'll give you a, a very basic strategy that has to do with communicating more easily and more readily around ADHD symptoms, and that's a, creating a verbal cue. A verbal cue is a set of words that you use to interrupt a pattern that is repetitive in the relationship, but that isn't a pattern that you wish to continue or that you want to manage better. So for example, it might be interruptions because of distractibility or uh, poor memory. It might be that the couple escalates really quickly into a argument. It might be that you know, one person is starting to feel overwhelmed and they want to notify the other. There are all sorts of reasons to use this particular strategy, but uh, it can be really useful to do that. And so the way, 
actually, let me do this. Let me come back to verbal cues. I don't want to get too far off of what you were talking about, but I do want to come back to verbal cues if you let me do that. Yeah, yeah. But you were talking about the, the two parts here, the emotional side of things and the tactical, if you want to think of it that way, or the uh, logistical side of things around parent-child, where it often starts, and you mentioned lawnmowers, which is why, or mowing the lawn, which is why I'm coming back to this, is around what I call the chore wars. And so having some sort of chore structure, some way to coordinate rather than dictate, some way to be you know, more equal status, like you were talking about your bathing suit example, that was coordination is what you were doing, right? She was, she was saying, you need a new bathing suit. I've observed this. And then you're coordinating around how that happens. So, so creating a structure that helps do that is, is very useful. So that's a long way of saying Yes, you're right. There's the emotional anger, frustration stuff. And then there are the more logistical, you know, just how do we get these things done? Yeah. I know in, in our marriage, one of the things that's really useful for us is that we just have stuff in silos. Like I have the stuff I'm responsible for. My wife has the stuff she's responsible for. And however we get that stuff done, it gets done. And it, if the timing becomes a problem, like it needs to get done by Tuesday and it isn't done and I'm nervous about it getting done by Tuesday, then we talk about it. But as long as we don't feel that time pressure, it's okay. Silos is actually a great strategy because it allows for somebody to have complete control over a specific area and do it their own way. And you guys probably do things quite differently and organize things differently. And so the silos are a way of sort of protecting your territory and again, of sort of making you equal. You know, you're doing different things, but you are equally powerful, if you want to think of it that way as you are doing those things, you each have control. And rather than sharing everything and having to go back and forth about who's in charge now. And it also respects our individual strengths too. That's in there as well. Like when I, I spent a period of unemployment for a little while there. I was, some of that time I was in grad school getting another master's degree. Some of that time I was just struggling to find a job and get, get my career back on track. And one of the things that helped me get through that was thinking about what I brought to the table in my marriage. Because for some of that time, I was like, I don't even know why she's married to me. Like, I suck. I, I am not doing enough. I, all of those kinds of thoughts. And I started to realize that like, yeah, but I'm a really, really good dad. And my kids were home with me for most of that time. So I was like, a, I called myself a part-time stay-at-home dad, full-time student, quarter-time ADHD dabbler back then. <laughs> I ended up taking some pride in my ability as a parent, which is a straight line to the parent coaching groups that I run. But also within our marriage, that parenting stuff, that social emotional stuff, we're a little gender flipped in my marriage. A lot of that is my stuff. Like that's my silo. I'm the one taking the kids to Cub Scouts and taking them to the dojo and going on adventures. And when they're upset and anxious, I'm usually talking them down and helping them navigate those emotions and that kind of stuff. A silo that my wife gets is the executive functioning silo because duh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that often looks like things like paying the bills and, and stuff like that. But executive functioning efforts that I take up are friendships. Like I'm often making the social plans and navigating that stuff because I'm the extrovert in the marriage and she's the introvert and I'm like, no people, we need people. And my, I'm the only extrovert in my family and it drives me crazy because they can go for months and not see anyone. And then all of a sudden they're like, we haven't seen anybody in a while. And I'm gasping for air, <laughs> like, no kidding. <laughs> well, but you're right. I mean, so that is another benefit of silos is that you are building on strengths. And it just happens 
that each of you in your relationship has silos that are incredibly important for the functioning of the family and, and which, you know, for which uh, each of you can appreciate the fact that you're in those silos and doing those things so competently, which is great. That is unfortunately not always the case. Sometimes you have, you know, super overachievers on one side and then somebody who is perceived as not having very many strengths. This is one of, again, one of the problems with the parent-child thing is that the more that that childlike parent figure is is in that childlike position, the less respect they get, the less confidence they tend to have in themselves as a good partner and et cetera. It's another reason that's so destructive. Generally speaking, there are great strengths to be mined uh, if the people are able or willing to to get to that place, but you have to find them. And some of what's at play here is the idea of sort of power and control in that parent-child dynamic within between the spouses and potentially also within the actual parent-child dynamic, that idea of power and control and how that doesn't, it's not as effective as we would like to think that it is. Right. Well, and it's an interesting thing that you bring up because the ADHD brain is, is physiologically wired to respond to reward and positive things. In John Rady, another one of the great ADHD specialists in the country, says that you could call ADHD a reward deficiency syndrome. In other words, uh, your brain seeks reward because the, the neurochemistry is such that you're not getting the normal signals from sort of everyday standard rewards, which is why people go after high excitement or they seek things that feel good. Um, in particular, uh, one of the reasons why it's harder for somebody who has ADHD to do things that are emotionally or otherwise um, not rewarding in the now um, for a long-term game. They're much less likely to look at the long-term game gain and look at what feels good right now. And so that plays a role in not only the importance of this equal status among partners, but also how you treat your kids uh, who do or don't, but particularly who do have ADHD. Parenting a child with ADHD is not at all about punishing that child into learning new things. That isn't the way that brain works. The ADHD child's brain responds to what feels good. And that's pretty much the only thing it responds to. <laughs> and so, you know, putting your kid into timeout so that they'll quote unquote learn a lesson for next time, just not only does it not work, it's actually self-defeating because what it engenders then is a, a very difficult emotional environment, a sense of defiance or a, a sense of, of being put upon. The parents become just like everybody else in the world, the teachers, the coaches, the people who are saying, if you would just try harder, you'd do so much better. And they don't become the place of safety that those kids need. And I'm not saying that kids should go without direction from their parents. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that the kind of direction that works is the direction that puts the parent and the child on the same team dealing with this very inconvenient thing called ADHD, and that is reward-focused. You know, you're teaching structures, you're teaching, you know, how do you get your homework to a school on time after you've done it so you get credit for it. You're setting up structures to help, but you're also very aware that punishment is not the direction to go. And it sounds like we really want to have a relationship that's based more in 
like respect and influence, right? Trying to steer them in the direction we want them to go, as opposed to chasing them away from the place we don't want them to go. And that's true, not only for the kids of people who, uh, you know, the kids in this thing, but also for the spouse. Since it's about brain wiring, it's not about whether you're an adult or a kid. It's always the case where you're in a position of influence and respect and empathy that always works better than trying to chase that person to a place that you're away from a place you don't want them to be. Awesome. And when we talk about brain chemistry, a lot of this is dopamine, right? That we're sort of yeah. discussing here is the ADHD brain doesn't have enough. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, there's issues with serotonin. There's issues also with the way that the brain, how it deals with emotions and, and uh, impulsivity. So it's a lot of bunch of different things going on, but dopamine is the main thing. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, so I always want people to understand that even if they're really struggling right now, and and they may be either with their partner or with a kid who has ADHD, um, one of the great things about having ADHD is that um, knowledge really is power in this situation. Being able to properly interpret the symptoms, being able to understand what the very many options are for managing it better, really can change your life dramatically. Uh, it's one of the reasons I really uh, like working in this field, actually, is that I see over and over and over again great turnaround uh, stories, uh, not only with adults and their partners, but also within families. So there's a great deal that can be done. And even if you're feeling pretty hopeless right now, I urge you to uh, learn a lot more or your listeners to learn a lot more and that great things can happen and you can have healthy relationships and happy families. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.